Welcome to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast, where we believe that healthy cash flow is critical for your IT business. Automation is paramount, and building trust with your clients by looking professional will help grow your business. I'm your host, Ryan Goodman, and today you'll learn about some profound struggles and successes relating to owning and growing a consulting and business development firm and how Ryan Morris from Morris Management Partners overcame them. Instead of, let me talk to you about my managed service, it is, I understand you, I understand your customer, your competitor, and that's why. Now, we need to just basically admit that the best way to sell what we do is to stop talking about what we do and start talking about the outcomes that we create for our customers. Here's the podcast with Ryan. Hey, everybody, Ryan Goodman here with Connect Booster, and I have the good fortune of being here today with Ryan Morris. He is the principal consultant at Morris Management Partners. Ryan, thanks for taking time out of your day-to-day to be with us. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me on. I'll tell you, it's, uh, it, I, was, I was about 11 years old in this world before I ever met another Ryan, and so now I, every time I meet one, it's like, hey, look, we're all we're we're here, people. We're we're coming to take over the world. <laughs> uh, I think we could uh, I think we could dub this R two Global, the R two Global podcast today. <laughs> exactly the R squared. <laughs> R squared. That's it. Uh, that's hilarious. So so Ryan, my first question: uh, Where can people find you online? Because after we get through with this interview, obviously they're going to want to learn a little bit more uh, about you and be able to dig in and contact you. So where can they find you? How can people contact you? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, my the being an old school kind of a guy, my the most re- effective way is going to be at my email rmorris oh, nice. at morrismp.com, but cool. also occasionally on Twitter. I read a lot more than I send out there into the world. LinkedIn, mm-hmm. I am uh, at LinkedIn and Twitter. I am Ryan Morris three zero three. Cool. Perfect. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Um, and you know, not not to be not to be uh, uh, oversold, but there's a lot of people that know you in inside of this industry. You you've been in the channel for a long, long time. Um, not all of our listeners may know the full Ryan Morris channel story. So can you tell us a little bit about your uh, industry experiences and, and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, literally 25, 26 years now in the technology channel, which as soon as I did that math, I was like, I should probably stop telling people that it, <laughs> it, it ages me a lot. Isn't it went funny? from experienced enough to be credible to, whoa, you should probably tone that down. Just from now on, just say 25 plus years and nobody needs to know any more than that, right? Uh, I, I, like you said, I've been around it for a long time and I started, uh, as many of us do on the vendor side, started mm-hmm. working for actually a very small company based in Salt Lake City, Utah called Cirque Corporation. They were the original inventor of the touchpad pointing device, that thing that it first came to market integrated into that original Mac PowerBook and then we broke it out and sold it as a standalone alternative to the mouse. That's incredible. Very specific stuff, right? And then from there, I actually came into the industry through the storage side of things, right? I I had a job working selling tape backup uh, systems. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I like to always tell people I came into this industry through the really sexy part of technology, right? Not not just storage, tape backup storage, right? Very, very, and and because you started there, you never forget it, right? Like you, no matter what else you learn, I will always be able to discuss tape backup libraries with everybody. And hey, there's still about a billion dollars of addressable market out there for tape, so it, it it'll never go away. Fully. Is that not insane? I know it's. Uh, we always joke, you know. It's like you. It, to be in this business, you have to be comfortable learning brand new things, mm-hmm. right? all the time, new technologies, new platforms, new business models keep coming out. If you don't know how to learn new things, you will rapidly become a dinosaur. And yet there are some things that will never go never away. Go away. <laughs> and, and I'll bet you every CIO in the world 
wishes that tape would go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's just never, ever going to be done, right? But yeah, I, I started there on the vendor side and I worked in sales. I worked in, uh, in customer support, actually got involved in channel sales and managing channel partners. Sure. And then from there kind of came on to the other side. Uh, before I joined the iPad team, which feels like forever ago, at the channel company, I was running their consulting practice and uh, looking at vendors and solution providers on industry analysis and business best practices. Before that, I actually was a partner in an ad agency, but okay. we were exclusively focused on technology go-to-market through the channel. Sure. My background was the channel, my business partner, his background was the channel, and uh, we were a group of, at our largest, we were like 25 guys from Denver. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we were globally involved and recognized as we were the only real pure play agency that specifically yeah. focused at that time on the channel, left there went to iPad, left there, and it's actually now been officially 10 years in this practice uh, as an independent analyst and uh, business consultant. So been around this stuff for a long time, but what we like to say is I've been a vendor, I've been a solution provider, I have worked in and around distribution for many years, I speak all of those languages natively and, and, and very well tuned to the point of view and that business discussion of if I'm a vendor, what do I wish that my channel partners would do differently? Right. If right. I'm a solution provider, what do I wish my vendor would do differently and how can I leverage these relationships in the value chain for maximum value? So that's that kind of been, sense. been the focus for us. Well, and congratulations on 10 years. That's a huge milestone, man. It is remarkable. I can't, I mean, it's, it, the world has changed a lot in the last yeah. 10 years yeah. and the business has changed and it has, uh, we're, we're very fortunate, right? Again, if we, without intention in, in my business practice, when we look at it at the end of each year, we spend almost exactly the same amount of time talking to vendors and talking to channel partners. And, and that allows us to stay very current and fresh on what's going on in the business dynamics on both sides. And, and it really does help to say, you know, if you are a managed service provider and you feel like you don't get the attention you deserve from one of your product vendors, here are five things you can do that will absolutely make you the most prominent route to market. Oh, that's and awesome. Vice versa, you can also say, hey, Mr. Vendor, this is what they say about you when you're not in the room. Right, <laughs> and right, right. here's how to make sure that they actually want you to come back into their business. And it, it's, it, it is still, after all these years, remarkable to me how, how there are some very standard best practices, some ways to be in the channel that most of the participants don't know. And, and if we can all just learn how to work together more effectively, those best practices can save you a whole lot of gray hair. Well, that's cool. And I'm, I'm really interested. I've got a couple of these questions where we're going to actually be able to dig in. And, and I, I, I'm excited for our listeners because I think they're going to get some real uh, practical tips, tricks, and tools um, from you based on what you do day to day, which is practical advice and sounds like very uh, – Great subjects to then just go out and execute on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's the thing, right? Born and bred into this industry because I'm fascinated by technology, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we always like to say, I, you know, where you work and what you do for a living is voluntary, hopefully, right? We, we, <laughs> right. we hope that you get to choose what you do every day. Yeah. And, and I choose to do technology because I'm legitimately still fascinated with the back of the data sheet and the insides yeah. of a CPU tower. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see this stuff and I think it's fascinating. It's transformational. It allows us to do things. But a, a good boss that I had 20 years ago taught me, you know, if you cannot show somebody how it changes business and mm -hmm. makes money, then it really doesn't matter how cool the technology is. Right. That was a good growing up moment for me to be able to put my focus on the right side. And honestly, it is, um, it, that's where I still feel like our industry can grow a lot, right? We are good at technology. And I've often said, you can bring out a new product tomorrow. And if it's relevant to my model and to my customer set, 
if I need to know it, I'll know that stuff by Monday. Like I'll be certified by Monday and I, I will know how to install this technology. But when it comes to sales mechanics and marketing and demand generation, when it comes to financial management, human resources, that's not what we went to school for. That's not what we typically get trained on. And that's where the growth opportunity actually is. I'm going to shift gears on you a little bit here. So I'd like to know, you know, what's a typical work day or, or week inside of your world? You know, what are some of the uh, activities that you're engaging in as well as um, some of the maybe lesser known things that you're doing inside of the MSP community? Sure. Yeah. And I will say, uh, first answer is it's very different today than it was for the previous 24 right. years, right? Uh, I, I grew up in this business as a field rep and I have traveled literally around the world working with vendors and solution providers on, you know, and even just this year, right? Q1 was a very good example. In Q1, I was in China. I was in London. Oh, wow. I was in Riga, Latvia, of all places, uh, for wow. a European partner conference. By the way, Riga is a fantastic town. If we ever really? actually get to get back on airplanes, I would highly <laughs> endorse it. Uh, you know, we, we travel around the States and around Canada. We, we are literally around the world, usually in person, either speaking at conferences, doing training workshops and, and breakout sessions, doing in-depth like multi-day skills development workshops, doing face-to-face one-on-one consulting and coaching meetings, right? Um, now, naturally, not on airplanes and therefore radically reinventing the way that we do stuff. Uh, I, I think as we were doing the math on it, um, in the last 15 years, I've not had a single year where I flew less than 150,000 air miles and only two where I flew less than 200,000 air miles, right? That's crazy. Literally around the world, you go places and and the good news is the way this business works in the US, it also works in Australia. It also works in London. It also works in Eastern Europe and emerging places, right? It's a very good and healthy perspective. Now, we are here. We've reinvented the office digs to try and look a little bit more professional, a little, hey, bit, more, uh, a little bit more effective, but you know, that has been a, a real adaptation. We spend time doing a lot of training on video now, and whether that's live or on demand, spend yeah. a lot of time doing one-on-one coaching with executives okay. and business leaders. Yeah. And then we spend time like on what we will call the content consulting projects, designing go-to-market strategy or reinventing yeah. uh, a vendor's channel program and the tiers yeah. and the qualifications and benefits, right? Uh, I, I kind of came into the consulting side of this business focused on vendor channel programs. Sure. How do you design that thing and make it work most effectively as, as the terminology goes, right? A five-star channel program is, it's a calling card in this industry that gets you into a lot of opportunities. But I also learned back then that it's kind of like you could have a Ferrari and still grind the gears coming out of first and not know how to drive that thing, no matter how good your channel program is, if you cannot execute in the real world, then you are a dinosaur and people will move beyond you. We spent like the two things we spend the most amount of time doing one on the vendor side, we, we do a lot of channel manager training that, that human who calls on you and says, Hey, I'd like you to sell my product trying to teach those folks to be business advisors, not just pipeline checkers, sure. right? Like sure. get them to add value. And on the partner facing side, we run a program called Virtual Sales Manager. Think of it exactly like an MSP business model. It is remote, it is fractional, it is not everything that a sales manager would do, but just take the data center, unplug that, plug in the sales human. It's contract-based. It is, it, we don't do everything that a sales manager would do, but we do the 80% that is absolutely critical to driving performance. Huh. I, I would honestly say after, you know, I mean, the scope of things that we've been involved with over the years in the industry and where I've personally been, uh, you know, I've been taught by people who do this very, very well. 
I can design a channel program. I can set up a bundled package in a managed service practice. I can teach sales reps how to sell intangibles mm-hmm. and services. Yeah. Of all the things that we do, the gaping hole that we find in our industry is in sales effectiveness. Yeah. You know, yeah. for as brilliant as we are on technology, we don't know how to set quotas or define territories or do prospecting calls, qualify opportunities, win business. And frankly, that's about to become a survival requirement, right? It's, it's no longer nice to have in the industry. It's either you can do that or you are the, the most frustrating experience that anybody in the channel ever has. We're better at it. We know this technology better. We've got more experience. Our people have hands-on first-person first expertise in this solution. But the other guys, they sold more effectively than we did, and the customer doesn't know right. that right. we are geniuses. And, right. you know, it's that whole tree falls in a forest thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, How do you uh, communicate it? You could be better at this technology than I am. But if I sell better than you sell then the customer will never know that stuff. And so uh, by very organic evolution, we've come to the point where we spend more time talking sales effectiveness than anything else, even though business model design and service practice Mm -hmm. development and project management, it's a real gaping hole as well. Uh, (laughs) Those things are still necessary. They're just they're not the blinking red light that we, that we were paying attention to. Well, and I think to riff off your uh, uh, Ferrari theme, the uh, you could be selling Ferraris for 10 grand and it's sitting in your garage, but if no one knows it's in there, no one's going to buy it. No one's going to grab the great deal, you know? Exactly. uh, And, and there are, you know, especially in managed services, right? I was fortunate to learn from some of the original participants in managed services 15, 16 years ago, right? Uh, It's not a new concept. It's been around for years. The terminology has certainly matured. We've Mm -hmm. learned a lot about the business model and about what is uh, maturity and effectiveness in in this business model. That's fantastic, right? I think that the, the business is, and we're seeing it right now in the real world, right? When when the world fell apart and everybody had to immediately reinvent their business and work remotely and do all that, boy, it was good to be a managed service provider. Yeah. Not only because you were mission critical to your customers, mm-hmm. they, they could not choose to not have you involved, right? right? But that mission critical nature also made us much more visible, much more, um, much more prominent. And yet, when you talk to end users, when you talk to actual decision makers in the SMB, the vast majority of them, they're like an, an MS what? You, you still what? a gasp, I, yeah. I still don't know. And, and to me, I think that is the evolutionary process. We are yeah. very good at doing what we do. The technology and tools, I will give serious kudos to this industry. We have advanced the art of automation in service management. Mm-hmm generations ahead of where it was in other professional services industries, right? In in a decade, we have created more than ever existed in engineering or accounting or law firms. The way we manage our time, the way we manage customers' services, radically advanced. We just aren't very good at selling that value proposition. And that's where I think we all need to kind of admit Hey, we can all get a little bit better at our tricks. Let's go back to school and yeah, kind of figure out how to do this more effectively. So yeah, I mean, you you do a lot of work, you know, coaching service providers, you know, into being able to to fill that gap between what the service provider does, show their expertise, highlight that, get attention, and and help them essentially close deals and get get their services in the door. You know how. How can IT firms, how can service providers address these concerns? What are the things that they need to be doing? Of course, engaging with you, that's, that's, that's a big part of this, but um, where do they go? I mean, 101, step one. Yeah, honestly, I think step one in, in this side is to begin by interviewing decision makers outside of the IT department. 
right? Uh, yeah. our, our legacy and our history is that we are techies selling techie things to techie professionals, right? Uh, we are wine connoisseurs talking to wine connoisseurs about wine. And, and in that small world, it, it is, it's, there's a language, there's a shorthand. Yeah. We are very yeah. good at communicating the, the finer points of technology. But as soon as a wine connoisseur starts talking to a beer guy, like they look at each other like, I, I cannot <laughs> imagine why you think that's important. I do not get where you're coming from. Right. Honestly, I think that we need, we need conversations outside of the IT department. And it happens to coincide with the fact that about a year ago, our research and other analysts in the industry, we all made the call that said, we've crossed the tipping point. And more than 50% of technology buying decisions happen outside of the IT department. That's very and interesting. If, if, if you look around, right, if I'm an MSP and I only ever talk to the technical professionals, then by definition, half of yeah. all of the decisions don't. don't even involve me. And, and that's, that's kind of the foundational thing. And then you say, well, okay, who are these people? What business are they in? What industry are they in? What are they? what are their business processes that make them effective? And then how does technology play a role in that right. functional process? We, if you think about this from a training perspective, right? Go back the last 10 years in your career and think of all the training courses you've ever been through. Yeah. What percentage of those were about the stuff we sell and what percentage was about the people that we sell to? Right. And if that's not 90-10, I would be amazed. It, it is, we are experts in technology. And when the techies had all the budget authority, that was awesome, right? Like we were really good at going to a CIO in a mid-market firm or to a technical director in, a, in an SMB firm and saying, you need to build your network. You need to overhaul your data center. You need to be able to control security and data protection throughout all of your layers of, of business operations. I can do that for you. Yeah. If they understood it, we understood it, boom, here's a purchase order. Unfortunately, those people still love what we do. They know that it is vital. And now as they have to go ask dad for the keys to the car because yeah. somebody else has budget control yeah. more than ever. And if we're not in those conversations, we're just, we are a plumbing subcontractor, right? And, yeah. and yeah, yeah. That's, that's not the value of what we actually do for a living, but that's how we get perceived. That's on us. We need to learn to tell the story more effectively, more proactively, mm -hmm. and be a business asset, not just a technology guy. What are some of the ways that you're, you know, you're training service providers to um, get in front of those individuals? You know, what are some of the approaches and, and what are, you know, what are some of the tactical things that you're doing to get them to shift, shift their mindset and realize that, that, you know, that base that they're talking to needs to broaden or, the, or like you said, they're, they're cutting out statistically right now, 50% uh, of their yeah. deals. Yeah, and I, I will say, so years ago, we, uh, we, I've been fascinated by the architecture of effective sales approaches, right? Uh, my left brain technical mind is, is very diagnostic in, in the way that I approach things. Uh, that, that's why I can understand technology, right? Yeah. I can look inside mm -hmm. of a computer and I can figure out what's going on in there. Take that same mentality and apply it to sometimes the sales pitch works, and sometimes it does not work. Uh, we've uh, formulated a concept that, that we've been validating with statistical research. Yeah. We've been doing a lot to dig into this, and we're, we're on the verge of having something that my son-in-law, who is a PhD in, uh, in the psychology field, is, is willing to endorse his actual valid science. And That's awesome. Not, not, not just you know, people telling stories, but um, it is, it's what we call the four forces, right? Uh, yeah. If you think about the way that you receive messages, there's a very structured set of antennas that, that humans have. It's, it's evolutionary. It's the way that you've learned to filter everything that's out around you in the world, figure out what's important to you, avoid things that are dangerous to you, whatever. Sure. Right? Humans have evolved in a way. And the way that it works, it, it's defined as 
that the sequence of messages you receive matters more than the content of the messages. That Interesting. You receive, right. Think, thinking of it in terms of sequence, it's the very, it, it, if you look at your email inbox, you look at your online advertising exposure, you look at all the digital media, all of the traditional media you consume on a daily basis somewhere between 10 and 15,000 unique advertising messages hit Man. you every single day. You do not process 15,000. You do not, right. you do not even register awareness of most of them. The ones that you do tend to follow a formula. And what happens is first, it's about you, not about the seller. Sure. Second, it is about your relationship with the people who pay you, your customers. Then it is about your position versus your competitors. And then it is about how that offer can help you out. Thinking of that in basic architectural terms, right? If I were to say, say to you, hey, listen, I've got this great new technology product. It's award-winning. It is cutting edge. It is the most advanced piece of technology in this category. It is something that is, it is much more effective and it's even more cost-effective than any of our competitors. Okay, so number one, you're talking about you, not about me as the listener. You, right. It fails the basic Dale Carnegie test of, yeah. you know, people are. the best way to win friends and influence people is to be interested in people, yes. right? Yeah. Interested yeah. is interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And that's the way the world needs to work. Well, if I start a conversation with you by talking about myself, <laughs> you know, you've, you've been at enough cocktail parties at technology conferences. <laughs> It's like, I got to go. I'll be right. Like I, nobody wants to hear about anybody else. Animals want to hear about themselves. And then if it, like, this is interesting and it's relevant to me, then I go, okay, well, how would this help me out with the people I'm trying to impress? Right. And then how does it differentiate me from the competitors who are also trying to impress that customer? Mm. And if it's good on all three of those levels, okay, well, how can you help me go there? And it sounds fundamentally differently. Like, I understand that if you run a small law firm, one location, number of, of partners and paralegals in your operation, I understand that you deal with a number of challenges, legal regulations, information management, and time management. These are fundamentally critical to your business operation. I believe that your customers choose you not only because you're a brilliant legal mind, but they choose you because they trust that you will not disclose their private sensitive information. Right. Now, a lot of your competitors are approaching information security from kind of a set it and forget it point of view. And what we know is there's no one thing that you can do to solve a security problem. And that's why we provide a continuous managed service that once we've yeah. set it up, we monitor, we manage, we check the alerts, we're constantly updating the patching. Okay, now did you see the difference in the architecture there? Yeah. Like, I just sold you exactly yeah. the same thing, but instead of let me talk to you about my managed service, yeah. it is I understand you, I understand your competitor, your your customer, your competitor, and that's why, right? Now that it, it if you go to somebody's website in this industry, www.anymanagedserviceprovider.com, what's the homepage about? Right. Probably yes. says, we are a managed service provider. We yes. are awesome. Look at all the things we do. Okay, that's why nobody generates leads via their website. Sure. That's why it's not, it's not compelling to that, that audience because it's not about the audience. Now, there are others that we have seen do this exceptionally well. And some of the case studies are, they make you giggle because they're so effective that you're like, no, come on. It, it can't be, it really can't be that good. Come on. Right. And then you see the numbers and you realize, make that homepage, your landing page, they show up and it says, Hey, if you are an educator in a K through 12 environment and you're looking for not just devices, but a way to offload the management responsibility of those devices, let me talk to you about how that could happen. Now, if I'm a tech director in a school, you got me like, Oh, you just said what, what I'm emotionally affected yeah, by. Yeah. 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 Click, click, click. I'm in that conversation. Right. Uh, we need to just basically admit that the best way to sell what we do is to stop talking about what we do and start talking about the outcomes that we create yeah, for yeah, our yeah. customers. 
they're the hero. They're the hero yep. of the story. That's that's beautiful. Hey guys, Ryan Goodman here, president at Connect Booster and your host for this fine podcast. We want to take a quick break from our episode and thank you for listening. We wouldn't do this if it weren't for you, so thank you for sticking with us on this adventure. We also want to thank Ryan for joining us on today's episode. You can find out more about Ryan and Morris Management Partners at morrismp.com. Ryan has given us a lot of fantastic information about his successes with owning a consulting and business development firm. And there's a lot more coming after this break. If you want to learn more about Morris Management Partners and their services, give them a call, send an email, heck, throw a carrier pigeon if you have to, they want to help you out. Before we get back to the episode, we want to let you know all the ways that you can find us online, starting with connectbooster.com podcast. That's where all our new episodes go up first. So if you want to listen right away, check out connectbooster.com podcast and then sign up for our podcast email list. Episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google as well. So subscribe to our channel or find us on your favorite podcast platform and they'll let you know when new episodes are ready to listen to. If you want to connect with us or be a guest on the podcast, make sure to email us at podcast at connectbooster.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter and we'll make sure to point you in the right direction. Lastly, if you like the podcast, tweet about it using the hashtag ITConfessions. We don't pay to promote the show, so sharing the show is actually the best way to let us know how you like it. Thanks again for listening to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner. We'll get back to the podcast and talk to you soon. I hope you all are taking notes because I've been, I totally messed up my question sheet here in a good way, by the way, because I'm just like, concepts writing these things down like so i you know my advice is like guys you need to reach out to ryan okay like yeah, reach out absolutely. and the smart one the ryan morris the smart one not, not reach out to ryan morris here absolutely and, and i will say you know the the guts of that whole approach is built on you it begins by assuming that you actually understand who your customers are and what they do and what like what they emotionally care about right how do you learn those things well Super simple answer to a super complicated question. You have to ask them. And one of the things we teach sales reps and executives is the idea of what we will call the business information interview, right? I am not here to sell you anything. I promise this is not a sales call. We believe that in order for our services to be relevant and valuable to our customers, we need to understand our customers. Could I borrow 15 to 30 minutes of your time, promise it's not a sales pitch, to just learn who are you, how did you get into your field, what is your business model, what is the most important thing about your job that, that right. really makes you better than your competitors, what are you trying to fix in your world, what matters, what's a priority right now, and eventually how do you use technology? How do you approach it? How do you think about it? Because what we have learned is selling technology is more effective when you do it customer-centric by a vertical market, right? If you sell to law firms versus retail stores versus restaurants, schools, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. Begin there. But to take it a step further, you need to be it's not just the vertical, it's the, also the horizontal of the human that you are talking to. Uh, think about, you know, you're familiar with the, uh, the bell curve of market adoption. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. There are early are innovators, early adopters, yep. early majority, late majority, right? Those people, all of them exist in proportion in every role in every industry. Some CIOs are early adopters. Some CIOs will not buy new technology until it is well-established and proven and you can show me the case studies, right? Some vice presidents of marketing are on the bleeding edge of technology and spending tremendous amounts on data management tools and, and analytics. Other VPs of marketing are 
so technology backward that if sure. you tried to sell them data tools, they would look at you like you have two heads, right? <laughs> you need to know who these humans are and then be able to tell them what they care about. Yeah. Think about it this way, right? Our, our vision is if a sales team, say you got three guys on your sales team, right? Three humans that are talking to customers. If each one of them does one or two of these a week, we're going to get, you know, somewhere between ish five in a week, right? Let's say we can produce five in a week. That's 20 in a month. That is 250 across the course of a year. You know what that's called? Statistically relevant market research sure. that now arms you to be able to go back to your customer base and say things like, so we've been conducting an ongoing study of business yeah. priorities and technology solutions yeah. specifically for small sized dental firms yeah. in the Rocky Mountain West. Here is what your peers are focused on. Here are their priorities. Here are the things that they are actually spending money on. Here are the things they are not spending money on. Now, I could call you tomorrow and say, hey, do you have 30 minutes to learn about my managed services? Or would it be possible to grab 30 minutes with you and your executive team and we can share with you the findings of our yeah. market research? Now, not only is that more palatable from a prospecting point of view, right? You're going to sure. get a lot better response. For but sure. now when people go, well, why, why should we do it this way? Because that guy said so. And he's an expert. Yeah. Well, how do you know he's an expert? Because he taught me something. Oh, okay. Now your next sales pitch to these guys is no longer a sales pitch. Yeah. It's the endorsement of yeah. an expert. And when they look at your proposal versus any other bid that they're going to shop for, right? They're going to look at your stuff and say, apples, 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 except one of them is an expert and the other is just a sales guy. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, That's okay fundamentally different impact on not just your lead gen activities, but on your price point, on yeah. your ability to actually charge value-based premium prices for what you right. do. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, everyone listening, um, there are a couple ways that you can go about learning these skills. You can spend 25 years doing it the hard way. Uh, you can read a lot of books. You can do a lot of doing it wrong, or I love hacks Hack legitimate hacks that shorten that timeline. Time is money, right? I mean, yes. time is money. Um, this is uh, this is great stuff, and I think you have uh, uh, established for every one of our listeners a reason to dig in and reach out. And if they're not selling like this, they need to be selling like this. And I don't know of a yeah. service provider that's not looking to add to their top line, bottom line, and make a sales team more effective. And you said it yourself. This is not going to become optional. Mm -hmm. This is now going to become the difference between uh, people that are winning and people that are losing. So, you know, yeah. what, what side and, of that coin do you want to be on? And, and that's the thing, right? As a technical professional, it hurts your soul when somebody says sales skills are more important than technical skills. And that's not what we're saying, right? Your technical skills are still the meat. That's the substance of what makes you valuable in this world. Yeah. It's just without the sizzle around that stake. Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows that you're there and they're not going to adopt right now, right? If you look across the entire economy, not just in the technology sector, there are some segments that have thrived in the last five months and there are others that have tanked. If you look at what is thriving, that's going to continue to thrive into the next phase, right? As soon as we finally get post-pandemic and get back right. to a growth economy, it's not going to be like, okay, let's go back to the way things were before and we'll do it the way we used to do it. Because people are thinking, they're innovating and changing right now. You used to go there in person and do a sales call. Now, it's probably a Zoom meeting, right? Right. Oh, you can't be as effective remotely. Well, you know what? Lots of people are figuring it out. Yeah. And when they figure that out, one of the statistics that we've just been tracking for years and years that I continue to find fascinating, the number of new opportunity meetings per sales rep 
per week, hmm. right? And if you are a small managed service provider and you're the owner and you are the sales engine, if you right. have one sales human, two, five, whatever, right? If you look to the number of new opportunity meetings per week, I can predict what your growth is going to be, right? There's a lot more going on, but basically if you're, if you're never at bat, you're never yeah, going you're to never get, gonna right? get yeah. Yeah. You have to be out there. There are managed service provider firms that average somewhere. Uh, if you go aggregate, right, and, and it accounts for the very small size of most of us in the industry, the average is somewhere between three and five new opportunity meetings a month. Okay. The, the ones that are growing, the ones that are selling on value, the ones that don't compete on price because if somebody says, well, I'm going to need you to discount that thing, they say, you know what? I understand that that's what you're looking for. That's not what we do. Um, I'm going to move on to the next opportunity because right. I have another one in my pipeline. For sure. For sure. Because I keep prospecting. Yeah. The average for those best performers in growth and profit, right? If you take those two things together, it's not just growth, it's not just profit margin, it's the two together. Yeah. The ones who perform the best there are making somewhere between 12 and 18 a month. Now, do the math, right? Yeah. You are the Triple. very best Triple. managed service provider who ever lived and you bat two out of three. You, you hit two out of every three. You go on a meeting, one of them is going to think about it and not be ready yet. And the other two are going to sign a contract. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm not the best managed service provider in the world. I'm not, you know, we're new. We don't really have all that much bench strength. We're kind of figuring it out as we go. And I only win, say, 25% of the time. Okay. Uh, you're way better at this job than I am. You are much more credible and effective. However, just by raw math, you're going to pick up one or two new clients a month. And I'm going to pick up five or seven new clients a month. Now, who do you think is going to become the de facto market leader as a managed service provider in your yep. local micro economy? Yep. If, if you've been around for 20 years and you have 50 or 60 paying customers on contract and you're growing by one or two a month, that's very typical. And for uh, four years, we've always assumed, well, that's how fast you can grow an MSP. That's, that's, that's as good as you can do. Except for when that, that when new that, little whippersnapper comes into <laughs> town. it up, man. In less than a year, they've got more customers than yeah. you do. They just barely got started. That makes me stay up at night. That freaks me out because yeah. that is... There, there's a tremendous amount of legacy and knowledge and experience in our industry that might get washed away because yeah. we don't sell well enough or yeah. frequently enough. Let's get on it, guys. Let's tell everybody about the, the $1,000 Ferraris in the garages here. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you got good stories to tell, man. Let's go. Yeah, tell. dude. This is, this is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> I, again, I... I, I Selfishness, uh, selfishly, I, I, I feel bad. I just, I need to, uh, I need to reciprocate somehow, man. I, I need to give you something great. This has been just a lot of, a lot of fun. So, uh, this and, is and just super valuable. That's terrific. I, I am very glad to hear that. And I, I, I will tell you, you know, if I can, I'll give people a homework assignment, uh, a reading assignment, Do right? Do this. Um, when you talk to a technology business owner about sales, about business development, about all of these things we've been talking about. If they say, no, I don't want to do that. I will guarantee that one of the top two reasons they say no is going to be, I'm just too busy. I don't have time for that. And the other one is going to be, I really do not like getting told no, like rejections uh, and okay. it's miserable. And, and I'm not a sales guy for a reason, right? Like that is not who I am. Uh, different personalities, the, the order might be reversed, but those two are going to be the top two reasons, right? Sure. There, there's a book came out, I don't know, seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that, five. It's called Rejection Proof. And it was written by a guy named Ja Jang, J-I-A-J-I-A-N-G, I believe is how you spell his name. It's called Rejection Proof. I, I've probably wound up selling more copies of his book than he has. <laughs> I read it. It's a, it's a quick read. It's very well written. It's not like big, long, like 
you know, difficult slog. It's just intensely relatable. And his fundamental concept is that the only way to overcome the fear of rejection is to inoculate yourself by getting a little bit of it, right? So you'll read the story in the book and his background, absolutely fascinating, but also incredibly tactical in terms of just how any human can become more rejection proof. And then we might actually be willing to call 10 people and say, I would right. love to come by and spend 30 minutes understanding more because the six of them that are going to go, no, I will never give you that time. You go, cool. Next one. And it doesn't crush your soul. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make you sweat with fear. Right? Like I think that's a, a, a real gap in our industry. If we could fix that growth will follow. It sounds like people need to set themselves a no quota daily yeah, in, as much as a yes quota. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree with that. We teach sales guys that uh, if you ask yourself a question, right? What, what is the right win percentage? Of all the proposals you submit, sure. what's the right win percentage? The best, fastest growing sales guys, it's going to be somewhere between 40 and 50%. You win as much as you lose, right? You're good at it, but you take a shot. You go yeah. for things you might not actually win because you might actually win it, right? Yeah. If you show me a business that wins two out of three of their proposals or more, then what I will tell you is you're leaving money on the table. You're just fundamentally not out there enough to capture all of the opportunities. Uh, too many of us in this industry wear it like a badge. Like I win 100% of the quotes that I submit. Cool. You're not sending out enough quotes. <laughs> yeah. You are, you are radically overanalyzing this thing and you are not at bat nearly as often as you need right. to be. Get out there, get told no, at least as often as you get told yes. And, and some of them will still hurt. Some of them suck. Like this, I, I know I've got the best answer. I've got the ideal thing. It's going to be a lucrative thing for me and them. And then they still tell you no. Right. You'll chew on it for a while. It'll, uh, but that's how you get better. That's yeah. how you actually grow a business. If if everybody says yes, you're not you, a you're not asking enough people, and b you're not charging enough. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's another <laughs> you win great, great, great little value point there. Absolutely. Yeah. Win 100 percent of your proposals. Please raise your prices by yeah, twenty. Yeah. You're not making enough money. You're not making enough money. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to shift one. Last question your way. It's, uh, it's one I, I, I just, I, I ask everybody. Um, all of the things that you have uh, accomplished in life, your, your, your time inside of the channel, early on in your career. Uh, if you were able to talk to yourself now, but the 25-year-old you, the 20-year-old you, what, what advice would you impart upon your younger self? That is an excellent question. Um, I, and, and again, I hope we've all learned some things in, in the last 25 years. Uh, I, I would think like two things come to mind, right? Number one is to, to actually seek proactively after new educational opportunities, right? Don't yeah. just, don't just get 100% knowledge on your thing, but be willing to, branch out, always yep. be uncomfortable because you're learning new things, right? That, I think we, we all kind of, we, we, we search for re reinforcement that is based on, hey, you're an expert. You know what you're talking about. Eventually, you need to get people to say, you clearly, you don't understand this yet. You need to do a little <laughs> bit more homework. Yeah. And then go do that homework, right? Like you, you, you need to seek that, that, like you said, seek the no every bit as much as you seek the yes, right? And the other thing that I would recommend, learn real legitimate professional project management, mm. right? Like it, you can be certified. I learned this later on in my career, right? You can be PMP, project yep. management professional. You can learn things like Gantt charts and critical paths and stuff like that. I will say, whether you are in sales or marketing, technology, services, finance, doesn't matter what you are in, the one universal skill that most of us just suck at is project management. 
And in the last few years, we've evolved aggressively to where we teach business development, we teach sales, we teach all of these things through the lens of agile, right? Yeah. So as techies, we're familiar with the concept of rapid iteration and, and short-term sprints and, and being able to manage projects in technology development that way, manage people that way, manage your finances that way, manage yeah. your new hire training that way, right? Everything should be agile. And I will say, when I learned agile and the, the, just the essential benefits of project management, a, I became way more reliable, right? Like I, I could get stuff done on time and, and I was, I was always busy and oh, my hair was on fire, but project management makes you more reliable. And when you are more reliable, people will let you do much more important things. Yeah. And any one of us that can become better at project management whatever your discipline, whatever your field is, get better at doing a little bit, a little bit at a time, really rapidly, and then moving on to the next thing. That mindset reinvents everything you do. So I would say, I wish I had learned agile 25 years ago. Dude, that's great advice. This is, there, there are uh, uh, truth bombs and life hacks and work hacks and all of this throughout. So I, this is going to be really popular, man. And I, and I, personally thank you for for the time as well man I, I I learned a lot this was in incredible and I think the the community uh, uh, owes you uh, uh, a debt of gratitude for all the all the insight thank you very you much this I is, appreciate this is, that it is uh, I will tell you we we've often described it as you know what would be really cool is if you could just listen in you know that the old time the old days in the world where you could get on an airplane and go to a conference and stand in the lobby bar with all of your friends from around yeah. the, the continent and just talk about stuff like there's some of these crowds that you just are like I, I wish I could go and listen to their conversation like what are they talking about right. it's because I, I have had the privilege of talking to a lot of senior execs in the vendor world owners from throughout the channel all over the place I, like very few of these ideas are mine. <laughs> I have been well-schooled by very smart people. So uh, it is, it is always fun to be able to pass that stuff along. Well, thank and you for, for articulating day, it so well. You bet. And hopefully one day be able to get on a plane and go stand in a hotel lobby bar again. This will happen, my friend. <laughs> this will happen. Yes. <laughs> well, Ryan, thanks again, man. Uh, before we sign off again, let's reiterate where can people reach out to you to get a hold of sure. you to learn more? Absolutely. So uh, our website, www.morrismp.com. Uh, email is rmorris, R-M-O-R-R-I-S, at morrismp, M as in management, P as in partners, dot com. And then Ryan Morris 303 on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. And hopefully, uh, hopefully people can find me out there because there's evidently a lot of Ryan Morris's on Twitter. I didn't know. <laughs> that's well, why I'm number 303. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. Seek them out, guys. Uh, great advice. If you like money, if you like to grow your business, if you want to be relevant as times change, I think you need to uh, uh, start drinking what Ryan is serving. Get out there and reach out to him. <laughs>